Welcome. This is the podcast series dedicated to living a revenue culture. One of the things that the pandemic did is it helped us realize that organizations must make a profit to survive. And to make, maximize that profit, they first have to optimize their culture. And that's what this podcast is dedicated to. Today, we're going to have Ken Keller join us. And I'm thrilled to have Ken. I've known him, must be close to 20 years now. And he's the CEO of Strategic Advisory Boards. And he's been doing that for 27 years. And I've had the chance to watch him work. And he helps CEOs, owners, leaders, and every member of the organization. And he does it in such a caring and humble way. So I'm thrilled to have him here with us. Ken, welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. Well, uh, I'm going to ask you in a second to, to share a little bit about your background, because I know in addition to uh, the strategic advisory boards, you know, you've, you've had a career with some of the really big famous brands in the world. And I'm sure that probably had something to do with how you got here or why you got here. So if you just kind of kick us off and share your background and particularly help us understand how you got to doing what you do, because I've seen a lot of people uh, lead various groups of, of leaders. And I think you have a, a unique and extremely positive style. So help us understand how you got here. Well, thank you, Rick. I appreciate it again, and I'm delighted to be here. So uh, I'm a native of the San Francisco Bay Area. My folks moved out from Detroit after World War II. And uh, we all, all eight of us in my family went to the same high school. Uh, interestingly enough, we all had the same teachers, uh, interestingly enough. And uh, a couple of us got involved in student government. I was actually senior class president of my high school class. Uh, I put myself through school in four years. I got a degree in political science. My goal was to get a job working in local government. But that kind of went by the wayside with the Proposition 13, which rolled back property taxes. So I found myself scrambling to get a job and I realized with a degree in political science, I knew very little about business. So um, I, I made up my mind at that point, I was gonna to have to get an MBA, which I ended up doing, but uh, I ended up landing a job through my network, friend of the family, at a hundred year old family owned business called Hills Brothers Coffee, which was based in San Francisco. Yeah. And they're, they're, still, they're still on all the supermarket shelves around the country. Uh, and I got a job in a startup division of that uh, company called Private Label. And so if you're looking at, if you ever see a store, store brand coffee, whether it's ground coffee or instant coffee or, or whatnot, uh, yeah. chances are at one point or another, Hills Brothers packed that coffee and sold that label. So uh, I, wh what that did was it made me the, 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 uh, the jack of all trades because I had to deal with every single department in the company. And of course, this was, this was all foreign. This was all foreign to people who'd been running the same brand, the same can yeah. through the lines. And so now we have to stop and start and put my label in and so forth and so on. So, but we worked out the grand truce and we figured out a way that we could provide very high service levels and still get the production that we needed for the, for the Hills brand. So I was uh, in the private label operations division uh, for a while. Then they moved me into finance. They said, nobody understands private label but you. So you're working on your MBA and we're gonna put you in finance. So I became a financial analyst and, uh, <clears throat> and I did such a good job with that. They said, now we're gonna move you into the sales and marketing department because nobody in sales and marketing really understands the numbers. And so I was again, jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, I ended up moving to Houston after Hills Brothers got sold to Nestle. And I was there for a couple of years. And I came back to California, this time to LA, where I went to work for the people that manufacture a little pink packet of sweetener called Sweeten Low. Oh, yeah. I was the brand manager uh, on Sweeten Low in the food service division. And after four years, I decided to do uh, consulting work on my own, initially in the food business. And then later on, I broadened my base of clients to do most 
industries. So how did I get to what I was doing? I realized I was giving the same advice over and over and over again, and I thought there must be a better way. There must be a more efficient way. And so what I did was I said, let's get all these people around the table in one room at one time in one place, and I will share my message. And that became the concept of strategic advisory boards, which is the peer groups that, that I'm now running and have been running for all, all these many years. So what, what I bring to the, the and, and how I do it a little bit differently is my background of operations, marketing and sales and finance is unique. Many, many people who, who work in other organizations that do similar things only grew up in one area, one function, and I have the broad net. So, you know, I've never worked in human resources. I've never worked in IT. Uh, I've, I've never worked in quality control or compliance, but I have enough of an understanding to steer my clients where they need help in those areas. So that's, uh, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Now, what's changed over time? Probably the biggest change is the CEOs have less time to spend on improving themselves than ever before. They're just so swamped with the day-to-day -day tactical, getting things uh, done, getting things out the door, getting the customer taken care of. They, re they really think that they can put off learning and growing and getting better so that their organizations can get better. And, and because of that, it's been, been more and more difficult for me to say to people, when you, come to, when you come to be in one of my groups, one of my strategic advisory boards, this isn't something other than work. This right. is work. This is you working on yourself. So you become a better leader so you can have better people, better results, better culture, happier clients. So that, and, and then of course the pandemic, uh, we started meeting on Zoom and all that kind of stuff. But the, the heart and soul of this is persuading the very busy, the overworked, the stressed out CEO, hey, there's a place for you to come. I'll call it a lifeboat, call it a round table, uh, whatever you want to call it, where you can come and let loose and get help. Wow. <clears throat> and I, I've had the chance to, to watch you work in those groups. And, you know, what in our work, one of the things we've learned is that um, for an organization to survive, they have to create profitable revenue. And often groups, that's CEOs, that's all they think about. You know, when they started the company, they had a purpose, right. you know, and, and the purpose uh, could have been uh, great engineering or it could have been to make a difference in schools or it could have been medical related. But somehow payroll and, you know, uh, paying back the bank and some of those other things get in the way. And the pandemic forced us to step back and recognize that those things that CEOs want to do, which are how do I scale? How do I become sustainable? You know, how do I innovate? When you take that step back, you realize their teams do all that. You know, that's what the teams are about. And the CEO's job is, how do I lead them there? So, um, you know, that's why I'm so glad you're here today. Because one of the things you didn't talk about, but when I watch you work, I see great empathy. I see great patience. Um, I see questioning and uh, helping people evolve. You know, talk a little bit about how you approach those things, because, you know, you you are so um, you're so kind about how you do that, that it just seems like people gravitate to you. Well, Rick, thank you. Um, I, I kind of look at it as uh, uh, advice versus opinion. <laughs> and uh, it's very simply, if you want my opinion, I will give it to you. Uh, in a diplomatic fashion, but it can, in fact, be quite candid. Now, what is the opinion? The opinion is my opinion. The opinion is, if I was in your shoes right now, here's what I would do. However, I realize that most of my clients aren't interested in my 
opinion, although they, they may, they may ask, you know, what's your opinion? What do you think about this? And if that's the case, I will an answer them. But they're really more interested in advice. And the advice piece is simply, um, here's what I would do if I uh, could just give you a little bit of advice so that you will act on it. In other words, no big, no big sudden changes. Hey, you need to do this one thing. And so the, even then, of course, because they're busy, they have, to, they have to process, they have to think it through. Uh, I've already kind of thought it through. I mean, I kind of look ahead for the landmines, uh, the roadblocks, the obstacles, the, the walls. And so I, I kind of spoon feed them the advice so that, they will, so that they will turn and go down a path that I think will get them to where they need to go. And I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, I, I recognize that one of my clients needed a change in, in uh, leadership at the leadership for one of the departments. And I was, I was leery that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're flying and, uh, and the, and the uh, voice commands, pull up, pull up, pull <laughs> up. And I was worried that this guy didn't hear that. So I said, look, I, I'm hearing pull up, pull up, pull up. And uh, he kind of looked at me kind of funny. I said, you know, I'm not saying you need to make a change right this second, but it would be good if you did. And here's what I would recommend you do when you decide to make the change. Now, it took him 10 months to reach the same conclusion that I had reached. And now he's finally acting on it. Did the, did the plane crash? No, it scraped some mountaintops and uh, the, the, the almost had a gas light flashed a few times. Uh, an engine failed, but the plane still kept flying. Yeah. But I, that, that's, I, I do it because I, I know it's hard for these folks to make tough decisions. They may, in the privacy of a one-on-one, -on -one, they may in fact say, well, you know, I, I need to fire this guy. I need to let this guy go. She needs to be demoted, blah, 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 blah. They may say these things. Pulling the trigger is totally different. And I get that. And there are reper repercussions when they do that. So I try to spoon feed them. Uh, 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 Hansel and Gretel and the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right through the forest. That's kind of how I try to work it. Because, because I know that all of these people feel an empathy to the people that work for them. And it's not, it could be not, not even a family business, it could be a publicly traded company, but they all feel some level of obligation to people to give them every opportunity, to give them uh, a chance to turn things around. Um, and so they, and they wanna be fair about it and so forth. So, so I've kind of been there. I mean, I've been fired a couple of times in my career. It's not yep. pleasant. But uh, I understand that, and I appreciate the way that it was was handled. And so I have that empathy because I know that it's hard for these owners, these CEOs, to make these kinds of decisions. Yeah, and that that leads to um, a question about culture. You know, people um, today in this point in history. Uh, are willing to stand up and say, well, we've got to build a culture or we're going to build a culture. Or, we have a great culture. And oftentimes when they say that, uh, what they mean is we got to get a ping pong table or we got to have uh, beer and brats on Friday afternoon. Um, how, when you work with your clients, how do you help them build a meaningful long-term culture? What, what, should they be thinking about or doing or working on? Uh, I, I think that the most important thing that the CEOs that I work with uh, do or need to do is provide information to the employees about how the company's doing. And that does not mean we're losing money, you're all gonna lose your jobs, uh, we can't make payroll. I mean, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about we're, we have a plan to grow, here are the metrics and, and talk to the employees and teach the employees 
about how they can, can contribute to the growth. And what does that mean to the employee? First of all, it means security. I'm going to have a job. If we're growing and I'm doing my part, I've got a place uh, to, to belong to, to be part of, and so forth. So that, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, um, I, I think in a lot of companies, we don't talk about this very much, but there's a lot of people who are disengaged and some, some violently disengaged yep. and, and others less disengaged. I think, it, I think it behooves us to sit, make a list literally and sit down with people one-on-one -on -one and say, look, you know, you're coming in late, you're leaving early, you're using up all your sick days. To me, this is a flashing yellow light that you're not engaged in, in your, your work. We're, tr we're trying to grow this company. You're an important part. What, what do we need to do to get you as part of this team? And then listen. And if they say, you know, I've been working here for five years, I never got a raise, never been reviewed, evaluated, appraised. I hear my boss tell me I do a good job, but it doesn't translate into my paycheck. Or uh, if I make a mistake, the boss doesn't talk to me for three days. Yeah. He's mad at me. Um, or I'm work, I, I'd love to be a contributor, but I notice nobody around me is, is contributing. They're all goofing around and so forth and so on. So I think having these, uh, I want to call them thought-provoking conversations with, with not turning into an interrogation, but giving people an opportunity to voice their, 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 their world is, is, is going to be really a positive thing. So um, I, think that's, I think that finding out who's disengaged, finding out what it would take to address that would be very important. I, <clears throat> I also think, and I know this is going to run counter to what other people may, may believe, this whole work and remote thing is um, okay for some industries and it isn't for others. And so I think that the, the, the more people that you can get to come to work, even if it's one or two days a week, where everybody's there and this is where, you know, the orchestra, I mean, if you're running an orchestra, yes, you can practice in the privacy of your own home or apartment or condo. But if you want to really play well, you all got to be there in front of the conductor. And so th that we need more of getting together, playing the music together. And I think that uh, at least initially getting people in the office one or two days a week would be critical. Having those discussions, uh, hard discussions, might be critical. And if, if you can't give somebody a raise, tell them why. It's okay to say, look, I can't give you a raise right now. We can look at this in, in three months. However, what I could do, if, if you don't mind, is I could probably uh, give you a couple more days off if you want to have a long weekend away. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Okay. So in lieu of a raise right now, I'm going to give you a couple of days off. Just make sure that everything on your desk is covered and, and, we'll, and we'll go from there. And somebody might also say, well, you know, um, the schools are not back in, in session. Yeah. So I've got a child care problem. Okay, I, you know, I'm the CEO. I don't, I don't have young kids. I don't know what that's like. Uh, what I need for you is, is come back to me with a plan and we can talk about it. Because whatever I'm doing for you, I need to do for everybody else that's in the same situation. So those are the kind of things I think that help. But it does come back to, <clears throat> we're going to grow the company. You play an important part. Here's your role. And I go back to those 12 questions uh, in the Marcus Buckingham uh, book, uh, First Break All the Rules. Do you have the tools and equipment you need to do your job right every day? start down the list of the 12 questions to make sure that people have what they need to do their job. And, we, and, and, and lastly, Rick, I've discovered that many supervisors and many managers are really bad at being a supervisor or a manager. Nobody's taught them how to be a supervisor or a manager. They've just become, uh, and, and you know this from, from your background, 
you know, the best car salesman on the on the on the lot becomes the sales manager. Yeah. He knows nothing about managing people. He just knows how to sell more cars. Yep. Right. Um, <clears throat> that the the best accountant becomes head of accounting. Now that's a disaster in itself. I you know, because accountants don't talk to anybody and and so yeah. forth. Um, but but I think that have, having a, a, an honest assessment about people's supervisory and management skills is really is really critical because uh, people will leave that you know people leave their manager right they don't leave the company they leave their manager and if you have if you have toxic toxic managers toxic supervisors they need to be weeded out and 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 it's okay to have tough conversations yes so that's that that's that's my a couple of a couple of thoughts I have on, on culture well, one of the things you said there that is, um, I think one of the most uh, frequently violated when you talked about, do you have the infrastructure, the tools, the information you need to do your job? And particularly in small, medium-sized companies, although I've seen it when I worked for companies as big as McDonnell Douglas, um, they, they hired you because you were talented and then they throw you into a situation with no tools, no structure, no training, no onboarding, none of those things. And then they evaluate your execution. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I quickly learned that my execution could never accomplish more than the structure that I was given to go do it. Right, right. And so... I think when we talk about building a culture, too often uh, we think, well, it's a great opportunity. We have a great product. We have great service. Uh, the market's hot. Go do something. Go write programs. Go sell. Go whatever. And we haven't put any of the stuff in place to allow people who get up in the morning and want to do a good job, allow them to do a good job. Right. You're right. You're and, right. And there's almost nobody who speaks for that structure level of the business. Um, and, you know, so that's one that I'm so glad you said that because I just so often see people fail, not because they can't do it or don't want to do it. They just don't have the things they need to do it. Yeah, let me uh, share a quick story with you. I was asked to facilitate a... Uh, a nonprofit board of directors retreat. And um, <clears throat> so I met some of the members for lunch and we were kind of talking about, it. I was asking a lot of questions. And one of the guys on the board said, um, and, and, this, and this is going to sound crazy, but it kind of said a lot about the culture. Um, some, so there was like a lobby of the building and to get into the lobby, you pressed a, a buzzer and then somebody on the inside had to press the buzzer to unlock the door. And on the, on the inside where the buzzer was to unlock the door was like 10 feet away from where all the desks were. So like every day, every time somebody came to the door, whoever was there had to get up, walk over and press the button. And we had a conversation about this. And I thought to myself, if, if, they, if they'd set it up, why did they set it up this way? And um, the, the answer I got kind of, you know, soft voice, don't let anybody hear you, don't repeat this. Um, yeah, they thought that the lady that was answering, that, you know, that was closest was just really lazy. And so they wanted her to get out of her chair and move around. <laughs> and I thought, I, 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 and when he said that, I thought to myself, this is not an organization that I'm going to be able to influence. <laughs> and I passed on the opportunity because yeah. if, if they're, if they're doing things like that, I mean, really, what kind of culture are you creating and maintaining? Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's interesting is it's almost as if it's an adversarial relationship, you know, 
And one of the things that I think the last few years have made really abundantly clear is the world is so transparent now that even if you want to hide something, you, you can't completely hide it. And once people see a little bit of it, then they're going to make up a story and the story is going to be much worse than what the reality is. Yes, yes. And yes. so there's, there's no sense trying to hide things. And, you know, you were talking earlier about some people being disengaged. And I think one of the, one of the things we see all the time is the employee takes the job because they need the money. And I understand that. But we don't try to hire people who need the money who are also compelled by our purpose. And, you know, if I can hire two people and they both have the same skills, even if one has a little less, if they are passionate about what we do, then whatever the skills are for today, two years from now, will be different anyway. That's right. That's so right. I want that human who gets up in the morning and says, yes, I get to do this. I have so many friends that in their internships or in their summer jobs, they work someplace like Disney. Mm -hmm. And they're now my age and they're going, best job I ever had was yep. working at Disney at, because they believed in, you know, make this the happiest place on earth. Exactly. Exactly. Make one of those kids happy and you know we see that often in medical practice or your wife's a teacher with teachers uh we see it with engineers who love engineering we see it with salespeople who love selling you know we've got to focus more on the purpose of businesses yes um, yes yeah. I, I agree i agree it's not and and, and so as you as you mentioned I do work with a fair number of privately held businesses. And in some cases, the purpose of the, of the business is to make money, as they say, make money. That's our goal here. But I, I've, I've twisted their thinking around a little bit. There has to be a higher purpose. Yeah. And in one particular case, I've got a guy who um, has a temp, temp agency. And um, I just remember when first time I met him and he, he's, he's focused on building the business so he can sell it and go into retirement. I get that. I get yeah. that. I mean, we've, we've all been taught the purpose of a business is to be sold, right? Okay. But I go back to that movie, Dave, with uh, Kevin, Kevin Klein. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, there was I uh, Sig Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he, he owns a temp agency, right? He's, yeah. He moonlights masquerading as the president or imitating the president. And he says, it's Monday. And everybody works on Monday. Meaning he's interested in getting people working on Monday. What does that do? It gives them a sense of purpose. It gives them pride. They're making a contribution. They're part of, part of society. They're not on the sidelines anymore. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'll give you another example. These aerospace companies, it's, it's long work, it's hard work, you're standing on concrete most of the day. Uh, it's demanding work, you got to be smart, you have to maybe program the job into a multi-million dollar machine. Yeah. And, you know, there's it's just a lot, of, there's a lot of moving parts, no, no pun intended. Yeah. The smarter aerospace companies have pictures around the facility saying this part's going into that B-1 bomber. Yeah. This part's going into that 737. Yeah. This wheel assembly is going on the uh, uh, Airbus. Yeah. And so people, people can feel part of something bigger than just the machine and the machine going clunk, 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 and out it comes. Um, one, one company in particular, they were assembling um, a missile, not the, not the uh, arm, armament part, but the, the missile, the, the projectile. Yep. And they had pictures up of explosions at the, in Afghanistan and Iraq and so forth. 
Like this is what we did. This this thing is, and 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 people they laughed about it, but it gave them a sense of purpose. Yeah. Hey, we're doing this. We're protecting people. We're killing the bad guys. This is what, and that gives people a sense of mission. Getting out of bed in the morning, working hard, doing a quality job, on time. So. Amen. And I I think you know as you talked about. You know, some of the not public companies, um, and I think this is true with public companies as well, but uh, often the, the family owned companies, when the company started, it had some kind of purpose. Yes. You know, and the per- I mean, it could have been I started doing uh, landscaping because I love doing landscaping and I love creating beautiful things. But as you hire the hundredth person, and you're worried about payroll and you're worried about, you know, workman's comp and all these things. Sometimes we forget why we started. And, you know, and when we forget why we started, the people forget why they're there. They're, they're no longer there to make beautiful yards or, you know, beautiful outsides of buildings. They're there just for the $22 an hour or whatever it is. Right, right you get that disengagement that you were talking about. So I, you know, cause I get to talk to a lot of small, medium companies, keep telling them, bring back the purpose. You know, that's why the people hired with you to begin with 20 years ago, bring it back today because it's even more important today because one of the things that we've realized is when we talk about culture, you know, your example of I'm in business to make money. Well, if, if anybody's read the Simon Sinek infinite game, you know, there's people who are finite, which is I'm only in it to make money and get out. You know, you end up with a completely different culture than if you're in business to make a difference in the world and yes. make a lot of money. Yes, that's right. And the, the finite, the short-term player, uh, we use the term mercenary. It's all about mercenaries and you hire the best engineer or you hire the best programmer or you hire the best salesperson and they're going to stay with you until somebody else offers some more money or a a cooler computer or something else to work on. And if you want to run a mercenary company, absolutely go do that, but just recognize it's a mercenary culture and because the world's transparent, your customer knows you're a mercenary. And when you negotiate with them, it's going to be win-lose negotiation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, absolutely you can do that. But if you're an an infinite company and you really care about your people and your people care about your purpose and you're really there to create the greatest value that purpose has to create, now your culture is your current and future employees, your current and future uh, customers, uh, your current and future business partners, the community you live in, your, your, your purpose drives all those people into your culture or out of it, depending on which of the two cultures you create. Right, that's right. Yeah, I think we sometimes lose sight of the fact, you're right, when you hire your 100th employee and what are they worried about? They're worried about... Uh, Am I going to get off early on Friday? Uh, when's my next raise? When's the next holiday? As opposed to to a broader a broader mission uh, of, of let, you know we're gonna we're gonna be known for the beauty we create in in every residential yard we transform. So yep. yeah, that's why pe- that's why people initially join the company. They believe in in that the journey is going to do something of significant. I, I think back to uh, Abraham Lincoln calls up 75,000 uh, volunteers at the start of the Civil War and a 90-day enlistment, I think it was. Yeah, it was. And what, what was that all about? Hey, we're going we're gonna to preserve the Union. Yep. And, and that was the, that's why people signed up. Yep. Fought and died. Yep. So. And I, I think purpose is one of those things that <clears throat> creates great value for all the people. And so, um, so you know, as, 
as you think about what's going on in our, our world today, what advice first do you have for leaders? What should they be thinking about in this hopefully post-pandemic world? And then the second question is going to be for those maybe young people who are starting their careers and how do they pick the right place or the right leaders or the, you know, the right purposes? So what, what should both of those groups be thinking about at this point in history? Well, I think the, the leaders need to focus on, at this point, most, most of my clients um, have gray hair, have maybe, I would say, 10 to 15 years uh, left to be part of uh, their companies. Um, and so they're, they're thinking about, you know, next generation or selling or, or whatever. I, I would be, and, I, and I've done a fair amount of this, is making sure that there's bench strength below the leadership level in case something happens. And uh, I'll give you a, a very sad example. I think you actually met uh, this individual at one of the workshops, but uh, one of the guys that was in, the, in one of the manufacturing groups, he had a partner, a younger partner. He, he knew he was getting up there in the years, but he's younger than I am. He passed away from COVID in September. I mean, it just happened overnight, pretty much. And so I think that leaders need to be aware that we're, we're all frail. And the real, the real numbers are that at some point, um, something's going to happen to us. And we yep. may be out for a short period of time or a long period of time, or we may be gone forever. So having having strong bench strength is critical. And those and the people on the on the bench need to have the same uh, cultural attributes that the leaders do, yep. or the CEO does. So that's that's the first thing. The other thing is for leaders, um, you know, nobody, nobody I know, including myself, had global pandemic on their SWOT analysis <laughs> at the end of 2019. So things are going to happen like this. Yes. Right? Um, and it, and it, let me give another example. Um, you know, no, no one thought Donald Trump would be elected president. I didn't get elected president, and he got elected president. And, you know, good for him. Um, but one of the things, again, nobody had on their SWOT analysis in the fall of 2016 was raising tariffs from China. And a number of my clients have been impacted by the, the, the increase in the tariffs. One guy, uh, uh, Dan was his name, he was importing something from, from China, and then he was trying to make the shift after the tariffs went into place to, to Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia. But he, he'd get a phone call, you know, he got a phone call in one of our meetings, he said, uh, okay, uh, let's set up the wire transfer, and he hangs up the phone and said, sorry, don't mean to have a phone call in the middle of our meetings, but um, the, the stuff arrived down at the Long Beach Harbor and we got to pay a $20,000 tariff. And it, I mean, that's the kind of thing that this kind of stuff happens. So I, I'm not saying expect the unexpected. I am saying unexpected stuff will happen. Be ready. Just be ready. So that's for the leaders. Uh, for younger people, um, I, I would say to, to find the right company, you need to have a network. You need, and most young people don't have a network. All, what I've discovered about younger people is they have a network from college. Uh, some people uh, go into family businesses. Some people go to work for big companies. Some people just do whatever they're doing. And they, they got a degree, but it doesn't, they're not using it. And then there's other people that maybe go on to, you know, a business school or professional schools, et cetera, et cetera. But, but if I had to do it over again, now, now, that I, now that I look back, I didn't have a network. Yeah. I, I, I had no network. It was like, yeah, kids I went to high school with, I, went, I was basically at a commuter college. Uh, you know, I knew my neighbors, but I didn't have a network. So, um, 
and you got to be careful too. There was a guy that was working with me at Sweetenlow. He got laid off and, and uh, it was, it, it, it was kind of sad. We shut the division down. He got let go. And uh, he called me up one day after he'd been, been, been laid off. And he said, uh, can we meet for lunch? And I said, sure. So I meet him for lunch. And I said, I haven't heard from you in three or four months. What have you been doing? He said, I'm trying to get a job as a pharmaceutical sales rep. And I said, oh, really? How'd you hear about that? Oh, one of my friends said it paid really well. <laughs> okay. He, he, was a, he was like a bookkeeper. He, he, you know, he, he, I'm not saying he was a bad guy. He was not a bad guy. But he certainly, he certainly wasn't a, a pharmaceutical sales rep. All the ones that I've ever seen, you know, bust in the doors at the medical office. They work quick and they're professional and they know that they know the drugs and da 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 da. And they all they're trying to do is get an appointment, and, and then they're out of there, right? Yeah. This guy ended up teaching junior high, which is probably a good job for him. But I told him, I don't know why you're chasing your tail. You're never, you know, you don't have a degree in any kind of yeah. industry or anything else. What, what, well, my friend said it paid really well. Is it, okay, yeah, there's a lot of jobs that pay really well. Professional baseball player, NFL player, right? Head coach of a college football team. They all pay pretty well. That doesn't mean they're qualified. So, you know, so people need a network to keep them honest. Not, to, not just to help them and say, yeah, but they need a network of people say, look. Oh, I love that. I, that, I know that's a you. Great insight. Yeah, I know you. You're not a pharmaceutical sales rep, and you know you ought to get a baseball bat and take it to the idiot that told you that you could do it. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I that's what I would say. And I I know that there's a Glassdoor.com and there's all the comments about this is a good employer and that's a, it, it's better to hear it from somebody who actually works there. Yeah, And so I, I just think that most kids need a network and they don't have it. Men, male, female, um, you know, I know that the pandemic has really hurt in-person meetings. Uh, people could join. And I know that I'm dating myself, the Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club, their church, um, some kind of professional organization. Uh, if they want, for example, if I wanted to get into marketing, I would join the American Marketing Association. Yeah find a local chapter, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but that's what I'd do if I, if I was a young person. And, and, um, and the other thing I would say is, it's okay to work for, for a privately held company, understand it's probably gonna get sold at some point, just beware of that. Uh, un understand that your boss today may not be your boss tomorrow. And, and if you join a family business, and uh, as in the Godfather, you're not part of the family, uh, you, you're not going to become an owner. Yep. Just how it is. Yep. So, yeah, that's really interesting, Ken. And I love the, the network uh, suggestion for accountability. And one of the things that I discovered during the pandemic that I'm really thrilled I discovered is a thing called Lunch Club. Oh, yeah. It's, I have no, I still can't figure it out because they don't charge you anything, but you can sign up for Lunch Club and you can meet people on, they have a version of Zoom. It's not Zoom, but uh, from all over the world. Uh, and you can limit whether you want them from your area or global or whatever. Fascinating people. And you can have, I, I don't know, three or four meetings a week if you want to. And I've never thought about that. But if I were a young person, either just graduating or, uh, you know, I'd be on lunch club four days a week. You know, yes. Yes. You know, I, I've just met some of the most fascinating people and I haven't chosen them. You get to choose your profile and all that. I didn't choose them because I wanted to sell them anything. I wanted to meet interesting people. And, but it's turned out it's been very good for business too, even though that wasn't what I set out to do with it. And the other thing I, I loved about your, for the leaders, 
you know, I get kind of my my hot button is during the pandemic when people talked about pivoting, you know, being an ex-basketball player, pivoting is you plant your foot and you stay in one place and spin around. And that's also true in engineering. When you look at irrigation systems, you know, you, you put the water in the center and the thing spins around the circle. Well, the last thing a business wants to do is plant its foot and spin around because right. the rest of the world is going someplace. But when, it, when you analyze what that people were saying, back to our conversation about uh, kind of the mercenary business versus the purpose business, purpose-driven businesses don't pivot. They know where they're going. They may change how they're getting there mm-hmm. or change the cadence or, you know, but they know where they're going. There's no pivoting. You know, I get it. The mercenary business, I was here to make money, but the bubble burst. So now I got to find a new bubble to take advantage of. So I, I get the fact they pivot. But when you look at this century, we started the century with a dot bomb, followed by 9-11, followed by the Great Recession, followed by Trump, followed by the pandemic. And when you do the math, it's someplace between one out of every two years or one out of every three years is some kind of black swan. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a leader, even an employee, and you are not thinking about the fact there are going to be black swan events, I think you're kidding yourself because there's going to be more. And they may not be pandemics. They may not be uh, political but there'll be something. And so you just better have a business model that says, and again, that's why to me, purpose is so important because if my purpose is really about making the world better, whatever those tragedies or crazy things are, it doesn't change my commitment to my purpose. Right, right. So So let me just share with you, I mentioned uh, when, when we spoke about uh, going to the George W. Bush Presidential Library. And um, I, always, I, I always accused Bush of, not be, uh, of having a philosophy or a purpose, as it were, in his handling uh, of, of the, the country after 9-11. Um, but it, but so I, I knew he had one, I knew he had a purpose, but he was never clear. Maybe he wasn't a good communicator. He could have been better or whatever. But anyway, so we go to the presidential library there and he has on one of the exhibits, uh, you know, the, the Bush, the, the Bush philosophy, the Bush principles, whatever it was called. Uh, and, and they were clearly enunciated there short, sweet, even a, as my, my granddaughter who was in the fourth grade at the time could, could, could see uh, what they were. And I thought to myself, you know, if, he, if he'd just been more uh, articulate about what these things were, more people would have understood what he was trying to do. Yeah, yeah, and yes. And uh, you know, that's, we don't, we don't train our leaders to do that intentionally. Some of them learn it and are marvelous. And we don't share it with our, you know, uh, some companies, uh, Gore Industries is one that's really good at their employees find all the next employees. Yeah. You know, because they love what they're doing and they love where they're doing it. And they want to bring other people in that are going to make the place even better. Exactly. You know, and so I, I always am surprised we we don't think about that very intentionally. It's accidental most of the time. Well, Ken, this has been great. Is there any last words of advice or or thoughts you have? Uh, you know, for people trying to uh, balance the the revenue and the culture thing. Uh, well, I I would say if you're struggling with profitability. Uh, that's like a fire in the kitchen. 
<laughs> you got to be profitable first. And you may have to make some very tough decisions, but, but you've got to take care of that issue first. And, you, and if you explain to people, we're not making money, it has nothing to do with how much salary I'm taking out of here, because I'm not taking any salary out of here. We're just not efficient and our sales and marketing effort, pro, uh, efforts are not getting the result we want. So we're gonna have to do some things so that we become a profitable business. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and maybe at the same time, uh, you know, we've got we've to build a culture of profitable revenue. What does that mean for you? And then as the leader, I need to explain it to people. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's how you make a contribution. And we all need to contribute. I'm not, and I'm not saying take a pay cut, reduce the number of holidays, reduce your vacation. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just simply saying is if we've got salespeople who are out on the street every day, seven days a week making sales calls, we've got to support them. So when they call in on a Sunday afternoon and say, you know, I'm standing in front of a customer, he's having some really tough times, we need to be able to reply. They, we can't let them get the voicemail message. Yeah, call me back at 9 a.m. on Monday. Yes. Right? So yeah. we've got to be supportive of revenue growth. What does that mean? Being available. So, so that, that's it. So, and then you build a culture. You build a culture of success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you used the term, I loved it earlier, accountability, you know, uh, and that example you gave is if the salesperson's out doing their thing, the rest of the organization needs to be accountable uh, as much as the salesperson wants. That's right. That's right. Because it, the, the salesperson cannot do it all. No. That's why everybody in the back has a job <laughs> to right. take care of the salespeople. Yes, salespeople are loud. They cut corners. They're horrible with paperwork. Uh, they they like the um, they like the kill, but they don't like to clean it up and make it pretty. That's why we all have jobs. Yep. Right. Yep. That's why we have jobs because yep. we don't because because we don't want to go out there and become the salesperson. By the way, I have companies that regularly tell all the employees. If you this and it's it's actually a good good philosophy. Yes, the salespeople make a salary and they make a bonus based upon what they sell. Their bonus and salary is larger than yours. Why is that? They have a more difficult job. Any one of you that wants to try sales, please come to me and we'll put you through the training program. But I don't want to hear any complaints that those guys are making more money simply because they have a harder job. And if you would try out sales, you'd understand that. Interesting. I, I haven't heard that, but I like that. I like that. Well, Ken, thank you very much. This has been, it's been fun. We don't get to do this often enough. And uh, I, I really appreciate you being here today. My pleasure. I was delighted to participate, Rick. And you're right, we don't do it uh, often enough. So for everybody else, thank you for joining us today. And we hope to see you again for the next Living a Revenue Culture podcast.